0: We are studying a very controversial passage, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 26, and we welcome you to the Radio Bible Course. This is a verse-by-verse study. It's designed to help you to understand God's Word, and we hope the program will do that. If you have questions, we invite you to send them to the Radio Bible Course. Now, I want to reread the passage which we began yesterday, beginning with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. A man who has violated the law of Moses dies without mercy at the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the man who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." What does it mean to sin deliberately or sinning willfully? Some people say, well, if you have become a Christian and you know something is wrong to do and you go ahead and do it, you are sinning willfully. Well, in a sense, that is true. But the question we need to answer is, is that what the writer intended for those people to understand by his statement? Now, in all good Bible study, what we want to discover is what did the author intend for these people to understand by what he wrote? That's the primary meaning of the passage. Good Bible students want to know the primary meaning of the passage, not various interpretations. Every passage has only one true interpretation. We have all probably heard people say, Well, there are many interpretations of the Bible. Yes, many wrong interpretations. But the Holy Spirit intended only one meaning to what he inspired the writer to the Hebrews to write. What was that meaning? One of the most important ways to find the true interpretation of a passage is to study the context. And by the context here, I think we can arrive at what the writer meant. Now, I can't be sure of that, of course, because I am fallible. Now, what does verse 26 mean? It talks about, if we sin deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Moses wrote something similar. He wrote in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 16, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet from your brethren as he raised me up. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. In Acts chapter 3, Peter told the Jews that they had killed the Christ in ignorance. And then he quoted this very passage from Deuteronomy 18:15 and 16, and he gave it as a prophetic warning from which there would be no escape. Now one either believes the prophet or he is destroyed. And that's important to God. Now who was this prophet? Peter identified him as the Christ, of course. Now, if those people who heard Peter preach about Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified, did not change their minds, and that means repent, there would be no hope for them. They could look forward only to judgment. It is my opinion that the writer to these Hebrew Christians had the same idea in mind as he wrote verse 26 if they did not trust in Jesus Christ completely to save them from their sins, they would be rejecting him and there would be no hope. That would be sinning willfully. Now, how do we know that to be the meaning? Well, the explanation of sinning willfully seems to be found in verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the man who has what? Who has spurned. The Son of God, and profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and outraged the Spirit of grace. Now what does it mean to spurn the Son of God or as the King James says, to trample underfoot the Son of God? It means to treat with contempt. It's a total rejection of Christ, the final prophet of God. There are times when people hear the gospel preached, but they don't understand it. It isn't clear enough to them. But there are other times when a person does understand it, and he rejects it. He is not merely rejecting the message. He is rejecting the messenger of God, the Son of the living God. He is burning him as though there were some other way to get to God. The writer wants them to know that there is no other way. Now, in the case of these Hebrew Christians, from the context, we understand that they may have been going back to the priest to offer a sacrifice after they claim to have believed in Jesus Christ. The author apparently is not sure that they have believed, and he is telling them if they haven't believed in Jesus Christ, they might as well forget about going to the priest because there is no other sacrifice that can save them or help them. For those who reject God's Christ, there is no other sacrifice that a man can offer that will be accepted by God. Now, this is final, and this is scary for those people who have not believed in the one God has sent. Now, the writer continues to explain in verse 29 what he means by sinning deliberately. He adds this, and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. That means that he treats the blood of the covenant as common. When we treat something holy as though it were common, we profane it. We do that when we take God's holy name in vain, and we call it profanity. Were some of the Hebrews doing that? Apparently so. And of which covenant is he speaking? I suppose it's the new covenant. He brought that out in Hebrews chapter 9, you remember. Therefore, he, that is Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred which redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. Now, there's a third aspect in verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 10, a third aspect of what it means to sin willfully. It has to do with insulting or outraging the Spirit of grace. When the Apostle Peter preached the resurrected Christ on the day of Pentecost, telling the Jews to repent and to be baptized, and that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we might have expected... For some of them to respond, we don't want Jesus or the Holy Spirit. That would have been a total rejection of God's gift of salvation. And they would have insulted the Spirit of grace. The prophet Zechariah used this expression, Spirit of grace, in chapter 12, verse 10, when he wrote, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace, not justice. Jesus took our justice. The judgment of God fell on him. It should have fallen on us. God believes in justice. And justice was meted out on the one who took the sinner's place. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ. Jesus, the promised Christ took the punishment that we deserved. But ever since that first century, the Spirit of God has been calling men to accept the free gift of eternal life. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, the author asks this question, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now back to verse 29, here we have three actions which a man does when he will not believe in the Savior. He willingly sins by rejecting God's provision of deliverance. He has spurned the Son of God, he has profaned the blood of the covenant, and he has outraged the Spirit of grace. With that kind of action, the writer states, quote, there remains no sacrifice for sins. And that statement is another evidence that Judaism is obsolete and its sacrifices have been rendered useless. God ended that sacrificial system in the first century when the Son of God offered one final and complete sacrifice for sins. There's nothing that anyone ever will be able to offer again in addition to that one which Jesus offered. If a Jew rejected the authority of Moses' law, which demanded meritorious living, How much more will he be judged for rejecting the gospel of grace which asks for no personal righteousness? What excuse will a man give to God for not embracing his free gift of eternal life? The apostle John writes about two kinds of people in the world, and from God's point of view, I suppose we can say that there are only two kinds of people. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So from that verse we see that there are people who are condemned, and then there are those who are not condemned. And what's the difference between the two? The ones who are not condemned are those who have believed. Chapter 3, verse 36 is similar. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. There are those who have eternal life and those who will not see eternal life. And what's the difference? Believing in the Christ. Now, either we believe or we perish. That's the way God has put it, and he's running this world, friends. Now, verse 29 refers to receiving the knowledge of the truth. That doesn't require theological understanding. The gospel tells us one died for all. Sin has been paid for by Christ's sacrifice. Forgiveness and eternal salvation are given to all who believe in him. You don't need a college education to understand that. The gospel is the good news that God provided an eternal sacrifice once for all time, for all sin, for all men. To reject it means that we are left without an acceptable sacrifice, and that means a closed door to God forever. What comes next? A fearful prospect of judgment. I do not believe this warning is intended for true believers, but for those in the church who were no different than the children of Israel in the wilderness. They are people who go along with God's people, they participate in the blessings, and they gather under His banner. But they have no personal faith in the promises of God. If someone asked you, which promise are you trusting in, what would you say? Some people might be hard-pressed to come up with a promise. We think we can help with that problem. It's our Bible Teaching Memory Program. You'll get a set of cards of wonderful, precious promises from the Bible. Verses that everybody should know along with help on how to succeed in Scripture memory. And the best part is that it's free from the Radio Bible Course. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavoda reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.